Mac Power Users, episode 624, Apple Apps That Need Some Polishing. Hello and welcome back to Mac Power Users. My name is Stephen Hackett and I'm joined as always by my friend and yours, Mr. David Sparks. Hello, Stephen. How are you today? I'm good, David. I am doing well. Excellent. Uh, I am as well. You know, weather's really nice here in California right now. We're at that time of the year. Uh, having a lot of fun with my new kind of career shift. Making lots of cool stuff. And uh, the world is good. Good. Yeah, I've, I've been enjoying uh, the stuff that's coming out of the labs. I know you're busy with it. I'm glad that uh, it's been going well. It's fun figuring out new workflows, of course, right? And like, uh, so I've got all these new pipelines I'm putting together. And I feel like I can see a time where the stuff is going to get easier, faster, better, all that. And uh, I always love that period of growth. You know, whenever you have a big problem to solve, the first few stabs at it aren't necessarily right, but your your aim improves so quickly. It's like, you know, when you play darts and the first time you throw it and it like misses the board. And then you start getting closer and closer to the bullseye. It gets harder to hit the bullseye the closer you get to it. But I enjoy the process and enjoy watching the improvement on those first few throws. So that's kind of where I'm at. But it's all good, man. It's all good. Thanks, everybody, for the support. I keep saying that, but I really do appreciate it. And it's just a very interesting life I've led at this point. Another kind of meta point before we get into the show. Uh, We had a post go up in the forum where we have been working on some server issues there. Uh, our friend Rosemary Orchard has been hard at work, and we think we've got all the the bugs worked out. We've moved to new server, better capacity. Uh, so hopefully those uptime issues all resolved. Thanks for your patience on that. Uh, it's a very well-visited site, and so doing these sorts of things just takes some time. You know, got to be got to be careful with that stuff. Yeah, and Rosemary was heroic with the stuff she did. She figured out how to dramatically increase our capacity and dramatically decrease the cost. So we have, um, in the forum post, I don't know if I should go in. Should I go in the Steven or should we just skip that? Yeah, we can do it. All right. Well, uh, because at one point I was thinking, so it's costing us about 1000 a year to keep it running. And Rose like cut that in half. So at one point I said, well, maybe we'll get uh, sponsors or do some kind of like tip jar thing. But we got the cost down enough. Steven and I both agree. We're just going to pay it. And uh, that way we don't have to monkey around with sponsors and badges and all that other nonsense. You guys get it. Have fun. Just be nice to each other. That's the only cost. There you go. All right. Um, so today we have a topic that is, you know, about Apple and software. Uh, this credit to this goes to TJ. Do we even say TJ's last name at this point? You know, TJ Luoma, friends with Diploma. Yeah, but either way, TJ wrote in and said, you guys could talk about all the Apple apps that need work. But really, this isn't just a TJ thing. It's like a common narrative around the bloggers and podcasters that Apple's getting bad at software. And maybe I'm too much of an optimist. I, I do think that there's some truth to that, but it's also, I think, not entirely fair because they are making software across multiple platforms now. Like in the old days, you know, there was a Mac and they made mm-hmm. software for the Mac. But now they've got to make it for the iPhone, the iPad, the watch, the TV. They've got to have everything interoperate across the internet. 
and iCloud storage backup, all this crazy stuff they got going on. So they've made their job infinitely harder. But I wanted to actually take a show to really examine this, to figure out, you know, where are they having trouble with software? And, you know, what do we see that needs to be fixed? And so Stephen and I have been on this little vision quest about this. We had a, we've been talking about it and making our lists. And we think that, you know, there's some apps that definitely do need work. And there are some signs of creakiness at Apple and software. But there's also things they're doing right. I, I think, you know, as so often is a story, the answer isn't black or white. There's some good stuff and there's some bad stuff going on. But for this episode, we're going to take a look at the stuff we think needs some help. Yeah, and the way I view it is there's like fundamental tension in Apple software. They have to write apps that millions and millions of people use every single day. Like yeah. you said, they have to do it across all of these devices with services gluing them together. And the reality of that is, is that that means that they have to find a feature set that works for everybody and that some people like like you and I and a lot of MPU listeners that Apple's first party apps aren't quite enough, right? That that there's, there's always going to be things that we want out of these applications that Apple's never going to do because Apple has to build for the, that mainstream. And that's where the world of, you know, great third party apps and app developers come in. A lot of the titles that we talk about on this show from some excellent third party developers that are taking you know, an idea working in a space that Apple already works in, but going further than Apple can or would. But that tension's different for everybody. And so what we've tried to do in thinking about this topic, and one reason, like this topic has been floating around for a while. One reason it's taken a little while is because we wanted to be really sure of like understanding where that tension is and knowing that there's some things that I think, oh gosh, like Apple has to do X, Y, Z. And that may just be, you know, my take because I'm a power user of whatever software we're talking about. So that's an important thing, I think, to keep in mind about Apple really needing to build for the masses. And that means that uh, those of us, you know, a lot of us may be on sort of the uh, the outlier end of things. Yeah. You know, I had a revelation about all of this last year. I think it started with the iPad, but really applies to almost everything Apple makes. And that is... You have to stop and think about project scope, not project scope that you want for an Apple product, but what the project scope is in the whiteboard in Cupertino. Like when they made the iPad, what did they want it? What problem did they want it to solve? Right. And I think as users, especially power users, we all want to overlay our project scope on an Apple product. And a lot of times that's not what Apple wanted. Like I just did a blog post uh, recently at Max Barkey about shortcuts for Mac and keyboard maestro. And a lot of people are writing me saying, well, isn't keyboard maestro unnecessary now? And I'm like, no, it's way still necessary because Mm -hmm. if you look at the project scope of shortcuts, it is for people to create simple automations to create a calendar event or you know, do a contact, you know, people like Federico accepted. Most people are using shortcuts for one to three step shortcut, very simple actions to do something on their phone that they do repeatedly. Right. Whereas like keyboard maestro is like, it goes on the internet. Like my Grammarly um, 
uh, a script as an example. It takes the text out of my clipboard. It goes on the internet. It, it navigates to the Grammarly webpage. It finds the button that seems to be in a different place every time I open the Grammarly website and pushes it. Then, you know, it does a whole bunch of stuff that is outside the scope of what Apple would think shortcuts to do. I think that's a great like lens, you know, anytime you find yourself complaining about Apple saying doesn't do this or that, it's like, stop and ask yourself, well, did they want, is that in their scope? Now we can argue about whether the scope should be bigger or smaller, or whether they got the scope wrong, but at the same time, if they're delivering what they think it should be, that really helps kind of inform how you think about their product. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And the other thing that sort of came to mind for me while planning this episode, actually where the title comes from, is this phrase we used to use in Apple retail, and they probably still use it, uh, called polishing the apple. And as geniuses, that meant that, you know, when a product came in, you know, maybe it's uh, a computer we're repairing or, you know, a phone or whatever it was, that we would always clean it and like tidy it up before we gave it back. And you know, that really went all the way down to like, if someone brought their charger in with their laptop and we kept it for some reason, like if it's sticky, like see if you can make it unsticky, you know? And while it was about like the actual cleaning of a product, what it all, what it really meant and what it sort of expanded to mean in my mind is at any point that we could, we needed to make interactions with customers better than they absolutely had to be. So there's a sort of the like baseline, like don't be a jerk if you work at Apple retail, but if we can go above and beyond, if you can polish the Apple with somebody, then, uh, then we need to do it. And I think about that in the way that Apple works and the way that we see their work fleshed out in applications where a lot of their apps, there really is a level of polish and a level of detail that, is actually pretty nice. And, you know, the thing that that comes to mind for me in this is non-destructive photo editing, right? Where you can take a picture of your kid and you can tweak the colors, whatever, but you also still have the original and you can go back to the original really easily. Apple didn't have to do that, but it's, it's this polish on top. And what we're kind of getting into today is there's some apps that Apple ships that need a little bit more of that attention that maybe are closer to the base interaction and can be taken to the next level. Yeah. Agreed. And and it's interesting because in some cases they do have polish at their core functionality, but it's such a veneer. Like you get behind it and so many pieces don't work if you get beyond the one way they want you to use it. Mm-hmm. And that historically in my mind has not been true about Apple software. Usually they go very deep with all of this stuff. Um, so, so we've got some apps we're going to, we're going to go through and try and constructively talk about where we think they could improve. We're not here to dump on Apple. I don't, and I I don't believe in being negative about this stuff, but I also want to call them out where I think that there are things that could be better. Um, so why don't we get started? We got to start with mail, right? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we do. We do. Because that was the, you know, as soon as we said we're, we agreed to do the topic, it's like, who's going to do mail? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's go back to your, your scope idea. What do you see as like the purpose, the base scope of Apple's built-in mail client? Well, I mean, I think that fundamentally Apple mail from Apple's perspective is a rock solid mail client that opens mail and sends mail 
and has the basic feature set that they laid down 20 years ago. And that, oh, and is, and is secure. Okay. That's another big one. Like I've talked to people making mail apps. I've talked to people, um, you know, you know, somewhat related to the Apple mail team. And I get the impression that, you know, making a mail app is a lot harder than you think it would be right? Because mail is a form of HTML, but it's not all created equal. Getting a mail app to render email, no matter where it comes from, is not easy. And that that engine needs a lot of help. And if you look at some of the third-party mail apps out there, especially the ones made by small teams, you get a bunch of render problems with mail. And that's a sign, you know, that they didn't get all the HTML figured out. Apple Mail's job on scope number one is to do that, is to never have a problem showing you the mail that was sent to you. Fair enough? Totally fair. Totally fair. Okay. I think the second one, second step is to reliably send email. <laughs> now, you think, well, why do, why is Sparky saying that, right? <laughs> There are third-party apps out there that will tell you they sent the mail and did not send the mail. So uh, this actually can be a problem with some mail apps. And I think Apple Mail is, you know, on that whiteboard, it says reliably render mail, reliably send mail, you know. So I think that's important. And then I think the, the third, like, tentpole of this that is from the last five years or so is security. I mean, historically... Uh, mail had a fairly liberal plugin program, but Apple realized, I think, that mail was a vector for malicious attacks. And I think they have spent a lot of time in the last five years making mail super secure or as secure as they can. And I think that is the scope. I think so. When I think about Apple apps that you know millions and millions of people are going to use, everyone uses email. Right. And everyone's yeah. email setup is slightly different. If you use Gmail or iCloud or Yahoo or some random SMTP server off somewhere, Apple's got to make their mail client work with all of that. And they've had bumps along the road. There was a period, especially on Mac OS 10, where Gmail and Apple Mail did not get along and you would have real issues. Most of that, I think, if not all of it, is behind Apple and things work much better together now than they did. But I think I think the the tricky bit with mail is looking at it, it seems like such a simple thing. Like the things that you listed off is like three bullet points. But there's a world of hurt in each of them. And for me, with all these apps, but for some reason, especially mail, I just never think about mail unless it's acting up. And I think that says something about how good the core of it actually is. But I think where the the pain point arises, and this is something you said, they laid down a base set of features 20 years ago. And they've, of course, added things and changed things. You remember for a while there was like stationary and reminders and all sorts of wild stuff in the mail. They've shipped all that back out, thank thank goodness. Yeah, but stuff there's, that we didn't need. Yeah. No, no one needed it. But, but there there are some things that are are basically universal outside of Apple Mail that they have not brought into the fold at this point. Yeah. And, and once again, getting back to the scope discussion, I guarantee you the whiteboard for the Apple mail team doesn't say match features with Gmail. That's just not, they're not playing in that ballpark. All they want to do is make sure that mail works. 
And the thing Apple has that a lot of people don't is really good data on this, right? Like I would venture to guess that over 90% of people who own Macs are using Apple Mail, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm just guessing, but I would think that, I mean, uh, us Mac power users, we're a unique breed. You know, not everybody is looking to squeeze productivity and focus out of their computers. A lot of people just use what's built in. And so they want those people, they want their mail to work. They And they know those people don't care about things like uh, snooze folders and all this other stuff. So uh, they're going to put all their effort, all their eggs into the basket of things like security and reliable render and all that. Now, I I disagree with that scope. You know, I feel like they should go a step further. It has been a long time. If you look at the technology they're using in Apple Mail, it's been a long time. Um, but there is a backdoor for us with Apple Mail, and that is the Apple script support and the plugin architecture stuff. Um, because, you know, for a long time, power users have been able to basically, um, you know, goose up uh, Apple mail to be more powerful. And like I'm doing it now with a combination of plugins, SaneBox, and Apple scripts, but it's like, it's like a chore for me to like build features into my mail app. I wish they mm-hmm. were just there and I didn't have to do it. The, the plugin story in particular is, is an interesting one where they've changed the underlying technology that developers use to build mail yeah. plugins. Yeah. And it seems like that hasn't gone super well yet yeah agreed and the you know this new plugin architecture is exists in a world where they've had an emphasis increased emphasis on security and you know what that means it means plugins are weaker you know i mean it's like Mm. it was inevitable that if they're going to try and button down security that they're going to they're going to limit what third-party plugins can do and i expect a lot of the popular plugins uh, that exist now um, are going to go away, you know, when that new plugin architecture becomes mandated and they sunset the old plugin architecture. Because I think a lot of things people are doing via plugins now are probably not going to be possible. In fact, I've kind of accepted that and stopped using most plugins because I wanted to see if I could use Apple Mail without them. And that's resulted in me writing a bunch of Apple scripts. And um, because, you know, Apple scripts, I can still used to automate things in mail, but the whole thing is rickety and me having to write scripts to get my mail to work is kind of nuts. I want to get back to what I'm doing to automate it later. We talked about in the show in the past, but, but I want to kind of get back to the core feature discussions because in addition to not really evolving Apple mail to, you know, like modern email conventions, like snooze folders, auto sort, this is all stuff Apple could build into Apple mail if they wanted and of course, just the the complete lack of a share sheet button on iPhone. I just like, I mean, there's a bunch of stuff that just seems like is not on the radar at all in the mm-hmm. on the mail team. Yeah, the share sheet, like, I just don't understand. I don't understand why you can't take action on an email message on the iPhone or iPad. It it really, I mean, it seriously blows my mind. That, yeah, well, I mean, at this point, it's an active decision, right? It, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I can understand the first couple of years. Yeah. But we've had the share sheet for an eternity, and it's still not here. Um, the other thing, as especially in the iOS mail app, that feels like, like they just haven't evolved it, is, when, is how it manages adding attachments or images to an outgoing message. So if you're, so for instance, 
you get an email a PDF from somebody and that PDF is on Dropbox. So it's in the files app if you have that hooked up. Yeah. There's not just an attachment button. It's in the like contextual uh, pop-up yeah. and you have to scroll over in that and there's a different option for attaching an image or attaching a file. Whereas in Safari, the upload UI lets you from one panel say, oh, I want to upload something from my photo library or want to grab something from files. It's just a, a common thing that a lot of people have to do and Mail didn't do it for a long time and then they added it with the best convention that was possible in the day and they haven't revisited it. I mean, especially on iOS and iPadOS, Mail feels like way more of a silo than it should. Yeah, agreed. And like, just to get to the share sheet, but I, I just have to say a few more things. on it <laughs> Please. Every time it comes up, I get email from people saying, well, you don't get it. You know, it's really hard to share an email because you don't know whether they want to share the .eml file, which is the email file, or they don't know if you want to share text or if they want if you want to share a link to the email. And uh, so it's going to be very confusing UI. And I, I just totally disagree. It's like, you know what? Okay, there's three options. You hit the share button. And it says, do you want to share this as text, as an email link, or as a .email file? You know, problem mm-hmm. solved. It, it just, I just don't believe that this is something that a company like Apple can't figure out. And, yep. it, you know, if they want to give me some stock, I'll go in and, and make it for you, guys. I'll give you the UI. It's fine. But, I mean, people who use email want links to the email or they want to, you know, send the, you know, they want to save the text of the email somewhere. I mean, we do want to do this stuff. And you've trained us, dear Apple, to use the share sheet in every app on the platform in every third party app. But the one app almost everybody uses, which is email, you've just never bothered to add it. And I would love to hear the story behind that someday. Cause it, like, is it like, is there like some manager who just thinks it's a dumb idea and has like kiboshed it or is it, you know, or, you know, I just love to hear the story behind that because at this point, like I was saying, there's no way this is a lack of resources or a lack of time thing. The iPhone has been around over 10 years. You know, mail was one of the first apps they made for the iPhone and it still doesn't have a share sheet button. It makes me sad, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sorry. I, I I honestly don't want to make this a share sheet button episode. Sure. So I'm going to move on. Okay. <laughs> um, so, you know, getting back, I, I think those core features, it is fairly good at, you know, security, display, sending email. But there are other core features of mail that could be better. You know, the one I hear a lot of people complaining about is sharing. I'm sorry, searching, you know, like, so it has the search bar. You, It's got tokens. It's got a way to search. I find search on the Mac version of Apple Mail to be pretty good, um, especially if you use tokens. Like if I say Stephen Hackett and then from, like something from Stephen Hackett, and then something that says has the word you know Mailgun in it, which is our uh, our service for the forum email service. I can find every email from Stephen that has that in it pretty quickly. Um, I find it more tedious on the iPhone, but that's just probably because of the smaller screen. But I know you've had more problems with search than I have. I feel like on particular iOS, it doesn't find things like I feel like it it should. Uh, yeah. I don't know if the search engine is like different between iOS and Mac, or maybe it's it's just more frustrating on the iPhone when it doesn't work. Uh, but there definitely have been times where I've I've had to bail out to Gmail to to search for something. I will say it is it is better now than it was even a couple of years ago. 
I think that they have continued to improve this. And I have a lot of mail. I mean, I, I don't, I archive almost yeah. everything. I, I rarely get rid of any email. So there's a lot of stuff to look through, but that is such a fundamental thing. It's something that Gmail does so well. I mean, it's, it's one reason Gmail was like so different when it was first announced it was like, Oh, you don't ever really anything. Just search for it. You yeah. know, and Google applied all that, all that search technology they had to your, to your email. And, I want to use mail. I want to use a mail client and and that search needs to be good. But I agree with you. Tokens are like the way to do this. And if you haven't explored those, uh, I think it's uh, easiest to do it on the Mac where you can search for someone's name and, you know, from or to, and you can really narrow things down really quickly with those. Yeah. And, it's just that's interesting because I didn't realize your problem was on iOS and I'm just spitballing here, but I'm thinking the differences between those two platforms. So like on the Mac, at least on mine, all the email is downloaded and on my drive. Yeah. And so it's doing a search of local files, whereas on iOS, it does not download all your email. Obviously, you've got limited storage, so it has to go to the cloud to do that search. And of course, Google's going to be better at that than Apple. Mm -hmm. But maybe that's one of the reasons why I have just kind of got to the point where I don't search email on my phone. You know, I if I need to search for an email, I'll wait till I'm back at my Mac. And mm -hmm. I guess I've just trained myself because of the inadequacies of the of the mobile app. Interesting. I hadn't really thought about it that way until you said that, but I think that may be one of the reasons. Maybe. You know, um, they do have you know, some interesting feature, like innovation was happening in mail for a while. Like the thing that always reminds me of this is the existence of data detectors. Yeah, this is a feature that came out. I looked it up, came out in Mac OS 10 Leopard. This has been a long time, but this is where mail intelligently detects things like dates and times or contact information. So if someone has an email signature, it pulls all that stuff out and you can quickly add it to contacts. Uh, it saves you from having to copy and paste a lot of stuff between mail and some other app. And I have loved data detectors. I thought they were, it was so smart when they rolled it out in Leopard. And I could, I use them all the time. You know, someone sends an email like, hey, how about a meeting at 11 o'clock on Tuesday? Well, instead of like tabbing over to calendar and maybe getting that wrong, I can just make an event right there because mail knows about that date and time and says, oh, this is probably something for a calendar. Let me just make that really easy for you. It's a great feature. Yeah, but you know, so that's Leopard, right? What was <laughs> it's been that, a minute. 2006? <laughs> right? I, I think that like the culture where the idea of data detectors is born and nurtured, I'm not sure that's the current culture of Apple Mail, right? Mm -hmm. Like if somebody came up with the new version of whatever data detectors is, some innovative feature like that, it feels from the outside like someone would say, oh, that's not on our scope. We're here to make something solid that renders messages, sends messages in a secure, you know, and get back to work on that. And I just feel like that is disappointing. Yeah, it is. I think it is. And it's not for lack of smart people or time, or money. It's got to be just, like you said, it's a decision at this point, and that's what's most disappointing. Yeah, and you know, getting back to the original scope, it needs to always work and be rock solid. Literally, as we were prepping for this show last week, I uh, I had mail start, suddenly started beachballing on me, which it hadn't done, I don't know, and I can't remember the last time I had a problem with Apple Mail, but it was beachballing. And uh, so what I did was I went in and rebuilt the mailboxes, 
which you can do. There's an Apple support article on it. We'll put it in and it fixed it. So I haven't had any further problem, but you know, I guess Apple mail can also have, you know, problems on the four tent on the three tent poles as well. But, but uh, in over overall, I use Apple mail on my Mac um, and I'm generally happy with it, but I'm also have a very much a wandering eye. Like I, I talked at length about MailMate, and now I'm trying it again. And I guess in the next year, I'm going to be looking at mobile apps. It's like Apple mail is the app you use, but that you never love. <laughs> I, and, think, uh, I think it's well said, but then at the same time, there are things I can do with Apple mail because, you know, the golden, you know, the silver lining of that cloud is, is Apple script because like, like I wrote a script where I can just type X high and it'll put hi Steven comma, you know, it'll take your name from the recipient field and put it into the message or I can, you know, hit a, a button on my stream deck and it'll automatically move a message to a certain mailbox so I can process mail really fast. And all of that stuff is done by writing background Apple scripts. Um, none of that stuff works with the built-in feature set. Like they, there are ways to move messages, but you can only, you only have nine buttons you can use for that. Whereas I want to make it very custom and like all that stuff you can't do with the basic built-in set. But if you know your way around Apple script and you have something like keyboard maestro, you can kind of force features onto it. But that's really at the end of the day, not what we want from our mail app, right? We want it to be able to do this stuff without us. And like, what's that? email app you're using now for gmail i forget what it's called Uh, mimestream yeah mimestream it's from a guy that was on the apple mail team right but he's unleashed right he's not working on the three tent poles he's he went out made his own app and he's like adding features and making it really cool i want that you know i want the apple mail team to do that this episode of the mac power users is brought to you by one password Go to onepassword.com slash MPU in all caps to get 20% off your plan. OnePassword is a great password management service. You can apply it individually. You can get family plans. You can even get business plans. And today I wanted to take a minute to talk about your business and OnePassword. I really feel strongly, perhaps even more so than family plans, that you should have a business plan if you've got secure data you're sharing with your employees. We're going through the great resignation right now. Heck, I'm part of it. And you don't want an employee leaving with keys to the kingdom. With 1Password, you can limit access to your key passwords to only those employees that need it. And when an employee leaves, you can change the passwords, remove the employee from the plan so they don't see the new password, and everything just keeps working. I had legal clients over the years that had disgruntled former employees that did all sorts of mayhem to them just because they had passwords to the server or to key client data. You can avoid that with a 1Password for Business account. With 1Password for Business, security and compliance are built right in. It gives you complete control over passwords and other sensitive business information, and it's compliant with the most stringent industry standards for data confidentiality, integrity, and availability. To learn more, just head over to onepassword.com slash business, and they've got a full explanation of all the great features they've got in their business platform. OnePassword is trusted by over 100,000 businesses, including companies like IBM, Slack, PagerDuty, and GitLab. So you should check it out today for your business. Once again, that is onepassword.com slash business. And if you want to sign up, go to onepassword.com slash MPU in all caps to get that discount. When it comes to protecting yourself on the internet, 1Password is simply the best. We thank 1Password for all of their support of the Mac Power users. So up next, let's talk about Calendar, 
the artist formerly known as iCal, which was a better name, <laughs> yeah, would you say? Yeah. yeah. So again, looking at scope, I think Apple wants something that is easy and reliable to enter, edit, and share event information. You know, yeah. uh, shared calendars are a huge thing. Like my whole family, we run off of them. I've got them with people I work with. You and I have one for this show. But I, I can't help but think that Calendar is in a little bit of the same situation as Mail, where there's been a lot of really good innovation outside of Apple, and they haven't reflected any of that in their yeah. in their app. Totally, totally. And I feel like this is another one where they don't care about going there. Like the most obvious example for me of this is event creation. Like they have, you know, you look at apps like Fantastical and frankly, every other calendar app in the business at this point, they've all brought in some sort of parsing to quickly create events, you know, write a line of text, hit enter, and you've got a calendar event. And with calendar, it's like, no way, baby. Um, you are going to open this inspector and you are going to click the mouse like eight times. And, yeah. you know, you're it's like, you know, they, they did, they have heartedly added an ad event. I know you don't have to write me. I know on the top left corner, you can type something in, but it never like gets you what you need. Inevitably you end up in the, the date event inspector clicking, tapping, typing, mm-hmm. tabbing all this stuff. And it's just like, they made it work, but they made it work in a way that guarantees that creating a new calendar event is going to, you know, take five times as long as it would with any other calendar app. Maybe that's why they made data detectors. Somebody was like, man, I hate this so much. So he made data detectors <laughs> so he didn't have to ever do it again. Yeah. Yeah. The natural language thing is is definitely an issue. And that bit about there's this inspector, there's other things you have to click or, or tap, that I think is a real pattern in Apple software development, at least in their older Mac apps. Reminders has that. Contacts has that. And we'll get to each of those. But in Calendar, it's particularly frustrating because even if you look at like task managers with really good natural language processing, like it's just right there. Like just, yeah. uh, but they haven't been able to do it or haven't been willing to do it. So you do end up doing a lot of a lot of diving into the inspector. I I feel like I see the inspector actually more in Calendar than I do in any other app that I use. Yeah. And I understand that there's like a lot of users that would never want to work with that text syntax to create events. Mm -hmm. And probably once again, this may be a 90% thing where most people who buy Macs are perfectly happy to open the inspector and click and take their sweet time creating events. But that is not an argument to not add natural language because you could leave the crazy inspector slow system in there, but just give us a box that we can type in that actually works. And I keep having to caveat this because they do have a box, but it just doesn't work. It's just not there, you know? And, um, you know, they're so close, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But that's not the only thing. I mean, calendar innovation is, there's a lot more to it than that. You know, there's suddenly not just shared calendars, but there's calendar invites and all sorts of cool services and features developing around calendars these days to make them easier to use. And, you know, time zones is another one. A lot of good calendar apps allow you to display alternative time zones on your day view. So you can say, hey, it's, you know, 10 o'clock in Los Angeles and it's 12 o'clock in Memphis or, you know, yeah. whatever. And, and the way calendar does that 
is it changes your entire calendar. So it's off by default. You can turn it on. And so I do have that on mine where I can say, okay, I want Pacific time. But one thing I like about Fantastical in particular is I can click onto an event and I can see those time zones for that event and not have to worry about what mode my entire application is in. Agreed. I think it's really, you know, it's just, it's, it's not that hard, <laughs> but you know, it, I guess we keep coming back to this idea of scope. I mean, is the calendar team saying we've got a reliable calendar that people use and that's good enough? Is it a re I haven't really thought about it. Is it a resources issue? Is it that Apple feels like, Hey, we've got our hands full making TV services and trying to connect everything through the cloud. We don't have time to add features to these core apps anymore. That's just not a thing we do. Like the, the people who would have come up with the idea for data detectors are now too busy working in a completely different department. Yeah, maybe. Or, or I think they just think they're done. You know, that, yeah. again, they think their scope is fine. But I do think it's good to look around and see what the competitors are doing. Not so you go and Sherlock somebody like Fantastical, but like other developers have good ideas and good technologies come along that weren't a thought 10 years yeah. ago. You know, well, I mean, the, the Fantastical feature set is never going to be the scope of Calendar. No. But they could with make a few improvements to make it so much easier to that 90% of people that are just going to use calendar. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, adding features like that would probably help Fantastical Because once people get a taste of what a, a powerful calendar app would work like that might tempt them to go try something even more powerful. I don't know, but, mm-hmm. uh, uh, but Hey man, they removed the leather. They did remove. Yeah. I got a screenshot from mountain lion in the show notes of, contacts and calendar and boy they were they had a real design uh <laughs> but uh, yeah the the thing i really want most out of calendar and maybe this is a bit more on the iCloud side which really not touching services too much today is i definitely on a regular basis have sync issues with events on iCloud either on a shared calendar or one that I just have, you know, just for my own personal syncing where I may go change any, an existing event and then move on just to come back later to find that for whatever reason, the old version has is back. Right. So if I move in a meeting from one o'clock to two o'clock, I may come back later and it's moved itself back to one or a shared calendar falls out of sync and suddenly I miss, this is a true story, missed a kid's soccer practice because my copy of the family calendar had fallen out of date and there was no way for me to know that. I get a call like, hey, are you coming? It's like, coming to what? (laughs) And turns out iCloud or calendar or something had failed. And it's, it's even hard to put a finger on what's going on there because especially in apps, in these content apps like mail, contacts, calendar reminders, it's really hard to know where the line is between the application I'm using and the service that is syncing and providing data to it. And that's frustrating when it comes to troubleshooting. It's frustrating when even trying to talk about it. Cause I don't know whose fault that is. I just know that at the end of the day, I was the one in trouble for missing a soccer practice. I mean, this just happened to you and me two days ago, we were prepping for today's episode and we were talking about a future planning call for the show. And you're like, yeah, next Thursday, right? And I'm like, it's not on the calendar. 
Yeah. And you're like, yes, it is. I'm like, no, it's not. And Steven and I have a shared calendar for Mac power users and it was on his, it wasn't on mine. So he deleted it on his and then he, uh, I guess you deleted it and undeleted it or did you create it over again? I created a new one and then I think we had doubles for a while. It was a mess. Yeah. But then it showed up like, like I just didn't have it, you know? So that's scary because I'm fully invested with iCloud calendars at this point. Me too. And, uh, I hadn't seen that problem until you and I experienced it together, but, and that's a tent pole. That's, that is scope, right? Scope is people put a calendar event and it sticks and it doesn't move or delete like that. So, you know, bad software uh, we've got, it's within scope is to make sure it doesn't do that. And it's doing that. So we got a problem. And honestly, if I had to choose between making sure my events show up and them having a cool parser, uh, my events showing up is more important. You know? <laughs> yes, agreed. <laughs> but but at this point in the game, that should be done, right? It shouldn't be a problem anymore, right? How? I mean, they've been making multiple operating systems now since 2007, so this should be a solved problem. If the if it's not, they are definitely not putting enough resources into solving it. Yeah, contacts is kind of the same story, right? I think it is. It is a, a basic tool for managing contacts and groups even in the early days i think two like had two fundamental sort of issues that have stayed the same one it, if you thought calendar was slow to enter data in contacts oh my gosh yeah. it's a bajillion check boxes and mint drop downs and even though it has all those options it still has felt a little too basic for a long time now i'll, I'll say to their credit one of my favorite things Apple has added to the OS in a long time came, actually came to contacts, where if you say that I have, David, I have you as a contact, and say that I have your your phone number and your work email, but then you email me from your home, your personal email address. Yeah. Well, it figures out, thanks to those emails, that you're the same person. And if I go into contacts, it will have sort of grayed in your personal email address for me to then confirm that, yes, this is you. Kind of like an inside-out data detector, I guess. Yeah, yeah. That's a great feature, but that's about the only thing I can think of they've added of meeting in a long time. Okay, so here's one. Let's say you get an email from me, and you're like, oh, that's a nice fellow. I'm going to add him to my contacts database and use a data detector to add me. But you're like a lot of rational people and you don't just have one big contacts database you have groups in your contacts database so you want to add me to your apple group the data detector input method gives you no way to assign a group yeah the ui is just not there <laughs> yeah it's just it's like nobody ever bothered it's like they had you know check boxes okay make sure you catch the name make sure you get the phone number get the address hey should we allow them to choose a group ah no let's just leave that one out you know and so then you got to go into the contacts UI hell to like put the contact into a group. So it's like the data detector, the whole purpose of the data detector is defeated. It's like, that's been a problem for like 10 years mm -hmm. and I don't know that they're ever going to like fix it. Yeah. But. I mean, they also just never added real group support to iOS and iPad OS. Yeah. Where if you want to create a new group, you have to do it on, on iCloud's website. Yeah. Or, on the Mac. So if, I, if yeah. I'm iPad only, I, through the first-party contacts app, I think there's some third parties that can do it, but in the first-party yeah. contacts app, I can't add or manage my groups. Why? Yeah. <laughs> it's such a simple, and honestly, 
incredibly useful feature of contacts. I know people, yeah. uh, I have a couple groups. I'm not huge into them, but I know people like they arrange their whole lives in contact groups and, you know, to the point where they turn them on and off on their different devices. I mean, really seriously, a lot of people really lean on this Yeah, me and, too. Like, on the iPhone yeah. poof, gone. Yeah. Not a thing. And then across all of these apps, mail contacts, um, they're smart groups on the Mac that never made their way to the to the mobile devices, which doesn't make sense either. You know, like smart mailboxes, smart groups. Why not? You know, it's like you can't. I mean, in some cases, you're running the same silicon on the iPad and the Mac, but th- there's certainly enough power there to add smart groups to these apps. But you know, they just never did it, and I yeah. guess it's not in scope. But why not? You know, you've got it on another platform. Yeah. I feel like out of the big three mail contacts and calendar, I feel like contacts in some ways is in the worst shape because of the inequality of features between Mac OS and iOS, you know, calendar and mail, like other things we'd like to see there are things they should fix, but it's more or less the same across the platforms, but contacts on the iPhone, which ironically is like the device that originally was built around what contacts you have because it's a phone. The, the the gap there between the different platforms, I think is the most startling to me in that, in that case. I feel like I need a drink. <laughs> uh, well, we can talk about Safari. Would that help? Okay. Bring it. <laughs> Safari. Bring it. Apple's We're going to end the show positive. I need, I need like a positive thing at the end. This is, this is bringing me down. Safari, what's the scope? I think the scope is to have the fastest, most secure, most energy efficient browser for Apple's platforms. Yeah, I would add run most of the web, not all of the web. I don't there think are they, things that Safari just doesn't work with. That's that's yeah. true. But but I think uh, on the list, battery efficiency is more important than running every website. I think that's that's a decision they made. And it's a company that sells a lot of devices that have batteries in them. So they don't want you to kill your battery in Safari. And uh, I I don't think that's necessarily wrong. No. And a lot of the incompatibilities you see with Safari and various websites or web apps, it actually isn't so much in Apple's control. I mean, there are some like web API type things that they don't, just, they just don't support. Um, for a long time, a lot of like the online podcast recording tools used Cernet uh, media web APIs that Safari just didn't contend with. They just didn't support. And so there are cases of that. But there's also the case that is really outside of Apple's control is that the predominant browsing engine on the web isn't WebKit. It's Chromium. And a long time ago, those were the same thing and uh, it's actually Blink now, I think is actually the engine name, excuse me. Uh, but Google and Apple split up over this. And now you have WebKit is the being the predominant browser engine on mobile because the iPhone, uh, at least here in North America, is basically the, the vast majority of web browsing on, on mobile devices. But out on the open internet, that's not the case. You know, it's the same story we had 20 years ago of you have sort of 
the good browsers, Safari, Chrome, Firefox, and then you have the bad browser, i.e. And I am not comparing Google to Microsoft in, in these terms, but I'm just saying that the dynamics aren't all that different. That what web developers, when they sit down to build a new web app, what they choose to support, WebKit may not have the priority that it once did. And that's, Apple can only do so much with that. But at the end of the day, if you're the user and your bank website doesn't work on Safari, it's still the user's problem, depend, no no matter where the problem actually came from. Yeah, agreed. And I understand that like the Google apps are always going to work better on the Google Chrome browser because that on that whiteboard at Google, you know, work great with Google apps is more important than battery life or anything else. So of course it's going to be better in those services. But yeah, but like I work in Google Docs all the time. We're looking at one at this moment and I use it in Safari nearly exclusively and it's good enough. It works. I do think though that I would like to see them. I don't know that this is bad software kind of thing. I think the Safari team is actually very active and very works very hard to make it a good solid app. But I do wish that they would also look at some of the other features out there. Like when they added reading list, I thought that was cool, but it, it, it got added and just nothing ever happened with it. Like, you yeah. know, when you look at what's happening and I feel like this whole read it later thing is kind of making a resurgence as like Readwise and some of these other services are emerging. Totally. Um, uh, read it later is becoming more important and it feels like they just are not interested. It's like, why did you even ship it? Because you never like took it to the next level. Yeah. They added offline support, which in my experience is extremely hit or miss whether it actually works. And, uh, and that's been, that's been about it uh, in terms of of saving things for later. And that is a huge resurgence right now. I mean, I was just playing with a new app uh, called Matter that is doing it. I was playing with it yeah. just last night. So lots of, of movement there. Um, I, I will give them credit with uh, the extension story. So way back in the day, there was like super weird Safari extensions. There were only a handful of them. They did weird hacky things. And then over the last couple of years, Apple has worked to bring more standardized extension support to the Mac, but then uh, subsequently to iOS and iPadOS. They use the same basic technologies as Chrome plugins, but they have to run through Xcode and through the, the, through the Mac App Store. And so a lot of things that are on Chrome will just never come to Safari. But I, I do wish that Safari would reimagine the UI around some of these extensions in Monterey 15.2 you can actually take them out of the of the bar at the top of Safari on the Mac but then they come back anytime the extension gets updated and I don't want to see any of them like I run just a handful um I'm actually looking right now I run a uh, one blocker one password clip to dev and think and Uh, And actually, that's it. Just those three right now. I had a few more I was testing. But I think they look weird in the mini bar and they use color where all of Apple's icons are monochrome. And sometimes they just load the non-retina asset for some reason. It's like my beautiful Pro Display XDR. Like (laughs) the one blocker icon is blurry. It's like, what is happening? Um, Just some of the management, I think, around those extensions could be better. It doesn't really scale very well when you're using more than a handful. Yeah, I so if I use Safari as my main browser because I like the iCloud sync and I like I like that it respects my battery. 
But I have to tell you, this is an app that I'm very tempted to leave often because I am excited about these cool plugins out there. I mean, there are some amazing ones. Like there are ones where you it, basically you can put a highlighter to any web page you see and it collects all that data for you. Or it's like there's all these cool ideas for plugins that people come with. And Safari is always the last platform to get them if it ever gets them. And I know that Apple has been making a concerted effort to grow that library, make it easier to make plugins and extensions for Safari. But I feel like whatever they're doing, they haven't got over that point of friction that has brought a lot of these developers on board. And I don't know if it's a problem with, you know, the extension framework is still too clunky, or maybe they need a developer relations team to reach out to these developers. You know, they, they've done that before in different platforms to say, hey, you make a really cool extension. Let us help you, you know, get it on Safari. We'd like to have you come over to Safari. I mean, Apple's done stuff like that. And if they can't get the extension teams on, I mean, I may look at Firefox real seriously one day, or at least on my Mac, you know, mm-hmm. where it's plugged in and I don't care about the battery. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like this is something that really needs to be addressed. And clearly they are trying to address it, but whatever they're doing, it's not enough. Let's talk about music real quickly. Um, I don't have too much here because a lot of this conversation is really old because music app on the Mac is still basically iTunes. Yeah. <laughs> it's very iTunesy. Uh, there's a lot of old iTunes in it. It just feels like the Mac app has been honestly just basically forgotten. They did in Monterey add back the old like song column view, which is actually yeah. what I use. And I use music all the time. Like if I'm not recording or editing a podcast, I have music playing in the music app on my Mac. And it feels like it did when I was in college on my old PowerBook G4. Yeah, imagine getting a job at one of these companies. Like it's like a 1950s era company where they got a a room full of desks and everybody in there's a salesman, right? And uh, you come in at your first day, and in the back corner there's this old guy just sitting at his desk, right? He's looking at some papers, shuffling some stuff around. You're like, hey, what's the story with that guy? And they say that guy, he saved the company like 20 years ago. Like we we didn't know where we were going. He showed up. He came up with this great idea. A bunch of customers came in. People found our company through him. But now we just leave him alone in the back. <laughs> That's Apple Music, right? I mean, it was the the iPod and iTunes. I mean, that's what made Apple hip again. It's like, how did they lose the thread with the music app on the on the Mac? I don't get it. I, I, I don't either. And with the addition of iTunes Match and then later a- Apple Music, some of it's integrated pretty well. Like if you integrate your library, you know, I, I can just see all of my local files, you know, that I ripped on CD a hundred years ago and my purchase stuff and tracks that I, I run through Apple music. So some of the integration I think has actually gone pretty well. There were some bumps along the road. I remember in the early days of iTunes match, you know, years and years ago, in particular people with a lot of custom met- metadata or things like that would uh, kind of get bitten. But that functionality is, Still pretty good, I think. But if you want to do anything kind of past the basics, um, I think even like the smart playlist stuff, a lot of it is really clever, but a lot of it uh, doesn't really feel like it knows about modern modern music services. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, I use Apple Music on the Mac every day because I work at my Mac so often and I like having the uh, media control buttons on my keyboard. 
and I've got a decent pair of speakers. So I use it, but it feels like, you know, how we were talking about earlier, how it felt like contacts for mobile was like an app on an Island. You know, mm-hmm. it's like it never kind of got the features and stuff that we had over on the Mac. It feels like Apple music for the Mac is, is on an Island. Like they've, they have evolved the music app on the mobile devices, but for whatever reason, the, uh, you know, the Mac version is still that guy in the back corner desk. And I don't know when they're going to get around to fixing it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Even if they left the desktop app alone, my number one request here is handoff support. You know, if I'm on a pages document on my desktop, but I am then, uh, (laughs) you know, picking up my iPad, I can just move to the same pages document. Why can't I, if I'm listening to music in my office, why can't I pick up my iPhone, go get in my car and it automatically start playing that same song or vice versa? There's some of that in the music ecosystem between iOS and the HomePod, but the Mac has been left out of that. It's there, Steven. They've already done it, but they just, they're like, it's just like the thing with the groups and contacts. They're like, oh, we should also add it to the Mac. Uh, now let's just leave that one out. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't get it. I don't get it. It hurts. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Electric. You have a whole fleet of Apple devices at work. They used to be arranged neatly, carried to and from an office predictably, handed directly to a new team member on their first day, used precisely for work and securely connected to the office network. But now they're strewn across the land. Your company's iPads, iPhones, and Macs are out there connecting to who knows what kind of Wi-Fi being left behind on flights, moonlighting as a child's toy in playrooms turned to work-from-home offices. You don't have to worry about what could go wrong because Electric gives you fully supported device management for Apple devices. Electric device management automates device provisioning and setup. It remotely enforces security and compliance across your entire fleet and gives you visibility into your device inventory and health at all times. Electric uses the world's leading mobile device management providers and tops it all off with world-class IT support for fully managed devices. They have over 100 IT specialists ready to field your team's requests. So stop stressing over scattered devices. Head on over to electric.ai MPU to get started. And just for taking a qualified meeting with their team, they're going to give you a pair of Beat Solo 3 wireless headphones. That's electric.ai slash MPU. There's a link in the show notes. Grab your pair of Beat Solo 3 wireless headphones today when you schedule a meeting to talk about your fleet of Apple devices. Our thanks to Electric for their support of the show and Relay FM. All right, another thing. This is the Stephen Hackett hobby horse. It's the system preferences on the Mac. Yes. I know yeah. you've been you've been itching to talk about this on Mac Power just since you joined. Now's your time, Stephen. I know. Fly, be free. I've gotten a I've gotten a few <laughs> notes in uh, here and there. This is where we get to put it all together into one big one big topic. Uh, so this is the preferences on Mac OS X has been the same more or less since the very beginning. Sort of that same UI where you have the main application and then you have depending on what OS you're running and how many third-party preference panes you have installed. You know, you have a, a, a few, you know, dozen to a, a more than that preference panes. 
it is very different conceptually than the settings app that came much later on the iPhone and iPad, where you basically have was effectively a column browser and you have your various sections of your settings. And then you have a lot of application settings as well. And you can just tap into them and move around. So system, system preferences right off the bat, the name is old. It would kill me if they changed the name, but they probably should change the name to settings. just so it all lines up. But the UI paradigm is just from a really previous time. It's from 1986 <laughs> to 1985. That, you know, they, they, they tell the stories about the, the Macintosh team that like had the pirate flag and had a strip mall shop behind a gas station. Mm-hmm. That's where the system preferences was designed and it hasn't changed. <laughs> yeah, not much. It's, it's uh, still the gas station version. Yeah, it's it's a it's a bummer. And yeah. the um it just hasn't kept up with the way that the Mac has evolved. And I would say that you can look at three preference panes and see what I'm talking about. Uh the first is dock and menu bar. Well, for some reason, Apple felt like they also had to add control center settings. So it's this wild preference pane that the left side of it scrolls and the right side of it has options based on where you've scrolled to and what you've selected. But it looks different from other system preference panes that have a similar interaction, like, for instance, notifications. Again, there's a list of apps on the left, various settings on the right. I think that preference pane is just way too busy, but that's that is really inherited from iOS, where it's like you have a a bajillion notification settings, and they <laughs> haven't worked out a way to show them in a way that makes any sense. So there's it's a lot of buttons, but then you have security and privacy, which I, which I think is the worst example because not only is it crowded, it's also confusing. They have all these different sub panes in there. And the privacy one in particular is just baffling because you have, instead of the applications first and the settings second, you have the settings first. So so you have full disk access. And then on the right-hand side, you can change or add applications to that, uh, to, to have that allowance, basically. And some of those allowances are behind a password. Some aren't. I don't know why the ones that require a password do and the ones that don't, don't. I haven't been able to work that out. But it's just it's just years and years of shoehorning new features and new settings. I mean, there there were preference panes. You can go look back through like the, the Mac OS screenshot library over on Five Fill Pixels. There are preference panes now that didn't exist even two or three years ago. And then there are preference panes like dock and menu bar that were very simple in the beginning, but as the Mac has become more complex the complexity has been reflected directly in the preference pane. And I really think they need to just take a lesson from iPad OS and iOS and redo system preferences in that sort of modern style where you have a bunch of things on the left and you drill down as you go to the right and give it space to breathe, make it a window that you know you can resize or at the very least is, is bigger than it absolutely has to be. Because it's just so dense and confusing. I think a lot of people are really overwhelmed when they start to go in here and, you know, they don't really understand what goes where. 
Yeah, like I use search in that system preferences window more than almost anywhere else on my Mac because I look at all those icons. There's no rhyme or reason to how they're organized as far as I can tell. And it's like, oh, I want to do airdrop. Well, which one of these 30 icons has airdrop in it? I have mm-hmm. no idea, you know, so I have to search for it every time. Um, I, I almost feel like this needs like one of those old-fashioned bake-off contests. You know, Tim Cook should say, all right, everybody in a company, anybody wants to submit a new UI for system preferences for the Mac, whoever wins, we're going to give them Craig Federighi's car or something, you know, and just like let everybody at it and see what they come up with. But ultimately... Yeah. If they just did what they have on the iPad, I think that would be a massive improvement. Mm-hmm. I do too. Th- there's some organization you can do. I search like you do. You can set them the panes to be alphabetically ordered. You can hide panes you don't need. I have a little YouTube video in the show notes where I walked through that in a screencast. But those are just band-aids to like the organizational problem uh, that System Preferences has become. And it's not, this is a thing that happens as systems get more complex and it's no one's fault necessarily, but they need to take the time to really evaluate what's working, what's not. And, and I agree, I think, I think we agree our ideas, take it off the iPad and put it on the Mac. Yeah. And, And I've talked earlier about my initial love of the system preferences on the Mac. That is the first time I saw the system preference pane and I saw the tortoise and the hare for the clicks and like the very visual user interface of the original system preferences, I really thought this is a platform that I am like immediately interested in. It like, mm-hmm. it, it hooked me, you know, but that was what, 30 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> I was, you know, it's like, come on guys. Come on. Come on. Apple. Come on, man. You think they're listening? I hope so. I hope so. Please fix it. Please fix system preferences. <laughs> All right. Um, I think there's another category here, and that is uh, what I call uh, nice work, but we need more. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, because <laughs> they are they are putting some effort into some of these some of their like system apps, but but of course, the more you give me, the more I want. Um, let's start with reminders. Reminders really, I feel like, has gotten a lot of sort of notes style attention in yeah. in recent years where they've really added some nice features to it. But some of them feel a little bit kind of half-baked or or not quite thought out as well as they should. Yeah. I mean, again, this may be a scope thing, but like reminders is way more powerful than it used to be. Like, I think I'm going to try at some point to use reminders for like a month as my only task manager and just see how it goes. That'll be fun for the laps maybe. But the, um, it's just, I feel like it's come a long way, but it does feel like that last mile. And, and I'm not even talking about power user features, like some of the cool stuff I do with OmniFocus. I know I'd lose a bunch of that, but but some of the like basics, you know, like the automation stuff and reminders is not fully there. I mean, with them redoing reminders, shortcuts should have a ton of reminders actions and it doesn't. And, you know, you were you had a problem with smart lists. Yeah, they they've added smart lists, but the token search tokens you can use cannot be repeated. So say that you want a smart list that just as a really simple example, you wanted just tasks do yesterday and today. You don't care about future tasks. Yeah. You can't do that because you can only use the date token one time. 
So you you can't say I want date equals yesterday and date equals today. Any other search I've ever used in an Apple application, Finder, Mail, whatever, photos, you can recycle tokens. But in reminders, they just didn't do it. And maybe there's a technical reason that I can't quite grasp, but it feels like whoever made this feature isn't aware of how these things actually work in other Apple software. I thought I I had like broken it when I was testing this. And so I got out my other Mac. I was like, Nope, this is how it is. It's single use token search. And it, it's really frustrating. Like you've added smart list. It's such a good feature, but they, they tripped right as they crossed the finish line with it. Yeah. And, but this is a 90% problem. If, if almost everybody's using this, it has to be rock solid. And I could see them saying, okay, we will get that, but we're not going to get it this year, you know? And, yeah. And and that, that is a, that's like a fundamental problem with all this stuff is that a lot of these core applications, their only opportunity to get updated is in a new OS. Occasionally yeah. there's standalone Safari security updates. It's like something really terrible has happened, but it's very rare that we get like a, a feature added to reminders or to notes mid-cycle. It does happen. They added sorting, for instance, in reminders. So you could sort task on a list because reminders just didn't do that for a long time, which is mind-blowing. Yeah. They added that mid-cycle, I think, two years ago, maybe. But it's rare. Usually, stuff like this, we're not going to see it for another year. And that means that you know, if you want to try to move to one of these applications and it doesn't work for you, you only get so many chances to check in on it. Okay. And so that is a self-inflicted limitation. Like there's no reason why reminders couldn't be updated like any third-party reminders app on its own schedule. Why do you think they only do it with the operating system updates? I don't I honestly don't know. Uh, part of it may be that because they're on an annual release cycle, which I think is a mistake that in that you like have to save things up for the big release. And so maybe some of this stuff that we see, like maybe something in iOS 15 was ready a month after iOS 14 was done, but they hold it for the big marketing release of the new point. so they can talk about it, WWDC and make yeah. it part of a much bigger thing. My guess is that's the main reason is that they're just so, so baked into this annual release cycle. They're afraid to break it. Yeah, marketing seems like a, a bad reason for it, but especially for software that they don't charge for, right? Yeah, I mean, it's not like it's like the old days. You want they wanted you to come pay your hundred and twenty nine dollars to get your update, but now it's like it's free, so it's up to you. But mm-hmm. but I, I would I would love to see Apple experiment on this. I think it'd be cool if they took like maybe the reminders and the notes team and a couple of these others and just said, okay, we're we're pulling you out of the operating system release cycle. And then you guys ship updates when you have something. And this isn't unheard of. Like we get iWork updates all the time, pages, numbers, you know, like keynote, get updates independent of the operating system. I would love to see them kind of give some of these other apps that treatment. Just a, just a wish. Yeah. Same. Yeah, I, we've, we've been talking about notes notes is the other one that they've been working on, but of course we want more on it. Um, you know, a, a lot of people are interested in this whole idea of backlinks and linked notes. 
and the wiki style linking it's taking over. I am a hundred percent in on this with obsidian. Um, I don't think you, you've done some of it in craft, right? Don't you use craft? Yeah, you can do some of it. Um, yeah, it doesn't really jive with the way I think, but I know a lot of people super into it. Yeah. I feel like that would be something that'd be cool, but I, I actually think notes is an app that's in pretty good shape. I mean, There's I you. would like to see it get continued updates and but i find it fairly stable i like the feature set like the shared folder that was something they added what a year or two years ago and yeah. it totally made it easier for me and my wife to have a shared folder now and um i feel like that one is you know that's kind of the poster child of what they should be doing with all these apps we've been talking about yeah i think now it's just about keeping up with what's going on in the the third party ecosystem just because I mentioned smart list though, and reminders, I do want to mention it here. You can create smart lists and notes, but the only token you can use is tags. So you cannot make smart lists with creation dates or edit dates or who things are shared with. It is literally just a search on any tags that you're using. How many times have I said scope today that I feel like that that's like the common refrain here. Yeah. They're just not going to go that far with this stuff. Like, People who like things like, you know, Rome or Obsidian, whatever they do, if they bring some kind of backlinking to notes, it's going to be helpful for the people that use notes, but it's not going to match the features that you're getting in the the more powerful apps. I mean, mm-hmm. it's almost like, you know, this whole term Sherlock, I think, has been way overblown because generally Apple doesn't Sherlock anything. Um what they'll do is expand the platform in directions of where the power user software is, but they'll never actually get there. Like they never got to, you know, when they brought reading lists, everybody's like, Oh, Instapaper's in trouble. No, they never got anywhere near what Instapaper does and they never will. And like, it's just not really Sherlocking anymore. I mean, what's a good example of them completely like, you know, incorporating an entire feature set from a popular app into the Mac. I can't think of a recent one. Yeah. I mean, we see it some on iOS, but I feel like on the Mac that that is basically passed. And I think, I think mostly just because the Mac is really mature and, yeah. and slash or the apps that really could use influence and third-party apps are the exact ones we've spoken about today. Yeah. Like I I was using the other day, I was having a tricky problem finding a file on my Mac and I use who to spot. Are you familiar with that app? It's like a, a find a search app for your Mac. Yeah. And it like, it just does so much better at searching my file system than the finder search. And I feel like I was looking at it thinking there is no way Apple is ever going to make something this easy to use this deep of a search tool for finder. It's just Mm -hmm. like, it's not in scope. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Memberful. Go to memberful.com slash MPU for best-in-class membership software for independent creators, publishers, educators, podcasters, and more. Get started now, and there's no credit card required. So you've probably heard I've made a few changes in my life, and when I first decided to make the Mac Sparky Labs, I spent a bunch of time researching the alternatives available for a membership-style website, and I very quickly realized that the answer for me was memberful. 
Now, this episode of the Mac Power Users also happens to be brought to you by Memberful. Memberful is the easiest way to sell memberships to your audience used by the biggest creators on the web. You can generate sustainable recurring income while diversifying your revenue stream. You might have heard us talking about the Relay FM membership program. That's also on Memberful. And they make it super easy to generate that extra revenue stream and deliver bonus content to our members. One of the things I really wanted was to give a customizable experience to different tiered members. You know, in my program, there's early access, backstage, supporter, different levels. And I wanted to make sure I got good content out to everybody at every level. Memberful makes that really easy. And they make distribution of it really easy, too. It's literally just a matter of checking the boxes. And if you're using WordPress, you can integrate all of that into your website as well. That's why I can have web pages on my website that only memberful subscribers can see. It all just works really easily together. I'm super happy with it, and I'm going to be a lifetime customer. Maybe you're already producing content and relying on advertising or other means of income. Memberful makes it easy to diversify that income with everything you need to run a membership program, including custom branding, gift subscriptions, Apple Pay, free trials, private podcasts, and tons more. While leaving you with full control and ownership of everything that relates to your audience, your brand, and your membership. And you can now send paid email newsletters directly through Memberful without needing to connect to a third-party email provider. You can even publish your paid newsletter content to a Memberful-hosted members-only website. And there's no additional fee when signed up for Memberful Pro or Premium Plans. Plus, you'll save money compared to other popular hosted newsletter platforms. Now, if you're a content creator, Memberful can help you monetize that passion. So get started for free at memberful.com slash MPU. And when you go there, there's no credit card required. That's memberful.com slash MPU. Go there now and check it out. It could be the start of something exciting. And our thanks to Memberful for their support of the Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. Okay, another like topic that kind of came up discussing this is what we call crusty corners. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. On the Mac, I think there's there's a couple. Yeah. I think I think we have um, the the most common one people would point to is notification center and today view. So that pane on the right hand side. Yeah. For a long time, it was one sort of slide out thing and you had a column that was all notifications and then there was a mode switch to get into the today view which would show you your widgets well now they were in the monterey era notifications are more complex than ever and we have these new widgets over from ios for apps that support them so like for instance timery i have my timery widgets here that look like the iPhone and iPad ones because they are literally the same widgets. Yeah. And so in this world of complex notifications and better widgets than we've had in a long time, Apple has combined these into one thing. And so I get on a Pro Display XDR, a giant screen that costs more money than my first couple of cars put together. I can see my three most recent notifications and then a handful of widgets. And I just don't, I just don't understand why they're the same thing and, and and really why like Apple hasn't revisited the dashboard concept and like letting us use these widgets in more places Them being locked away on the right rail of the screen. Just, it, it feels, 
it feels not it feels not good. It feels very limiting. You wrote in the outline dashboard 2.0 and bring it back, baby. That you know, that idea I find incredibly exciting. Like dashboard was a thing where you swiped to the right. It was like a left screen where you had these widgets that were there. But um in this new world where we've got iOS apps showing up on Macs and just this new kind of like Swift UI universal architecture for applications i feel like a dashboard on a mac would be amazing and i would like you know i'm just kind of thinking out loud here right but what if i were able to push a button and have like a gray or a color of my choice kind of like a semi-transparent overlay show up on my mac so like my word documents or my spreadsheets or whatever just kind of get gray or blue or whatever and then suddenly all these little apps pop up that i can select between like give me a whole screen of them on on a big 27 inch monitor you can just fill the screen with them and it's like your omnifocus tasks your email check-in your calendar list whatever and just have it all on one screen and then push a button and it goes away or click on one of them and it opens the app and I get that you can build this with spaces, and I've tried to do it honestly, but it doesn't really work right. What we need is like kind of those like component style widgets that we can arrange more than the left column, but just fill the screen with them. I would love that feature. Yeah, I would too. And the building blocks are all there. They just haven't put them together. Like what is that thing called? Everybody deletes launch center, the thing uh, where it opens launch bar. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Launch center. Excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like imagine you push a button instead of just a, a list of your app icons, you have widgets show up the way launch center does. I mean, that would be amazing. And I think I would find so many uses for that on the Mac. I'd love to have a, like a status bar button I can push and get that dashboard to pop up. But anyway, um, so I guess we've got a few good ideas. Hopefully, uh, Hopefully some of them show up someday. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to talk about in this section is a lot deeper and a lot nerdier, but it affects a lot of power users. And yeah. it's the the system bundled versions of programming and scripting languages. So think about Apple Script, right? Part of the OS. Apple builds it, they maintain it, putting this in air quotes. Because AppleScript yeah. is very old and creaky in places. But yeah. uh, there are also third-party languages, so PHP, Python, Ruby, other tools that have come with macOS for a long time. And they're available to you in the terminal and other places that you can expose them. But for a long time now, they have been uh, really out of date. And so with Monterey, it actually dropped PHP completely, but it still comes with like Python 2.7 which was talked about as end of life as early as 2015. And it's, it's old. And so what a lot of us do who need these things for scripting or for development purposes is we install our own versions of these things. So if you need PHP on your Mac, you may do it through something like Homebrew or you may install the Xcode tools, which bring some of these things along. But it's been for a long time problematic because you have your version versus the system version and they may not match and which one do you link against yeah. and i just wish apple would make up its mind about what it wants to do with this either include them and like be a good steward and have updated versions 
or just don't include them and let developers and people who script and these different things let us just install what we want where we want. But it's this kind of in-between state that like I hear a lot of frustration about from people who rely on them. And even like the the tiny little bit of work I do in this area, I find it frustrating. Where it's like, oh, I need this, but the system version is six years old, and so I got to go bring my own. Yeah, and then you get it working on your Mac Pro, but then you go over to your laptop and it's not installed, so nothing works. Yes, and, indeed. And I, I get it. I get it. I also think there are some things that just seem broken that need more attention. And I think a lot of this stuff is more user-facing. Like, do you ever get that issue where it prompts you for your iCloud password and just keeps gets on like an endless loop of doing yeah. it? Uh, my MacBook Pro in particular is fond of doing that. And I've never really worked out why. Sometimes you can log out of iCloud and log back in, which is a giant pain in the butt. And sometimes that does it. But that's been going on for years. years. I mean, I, at least five years where occasionally I get in this loop and then I just type the password in and I'll do it. And after five times or with some random number, it'll just stop doing it. I have no idea why that just happened. I mean, I don't know. You know, at, at some point you're like, did I get hacked? Or are they just getting my password? What's going on? It's like, I'm sure that people that work in that big spaceship campus have had this problem. How come it's, you know, not fixed after five years? What What is happening to make this, you know, how do you not solve that problem? And it's like, come on. And Or like the thing I went through a few months ago where I was trying to get four terabytes of storage, which I eventually did, but it required me to reconfigure my iCloud account because I have the, you know, the legacy account that I bought stuff on. Then I have the account that is my account. So I had to switch them around. And now we open the Apple TV and a bunch of the movies I bought aren't there. And we're still trying to figure out how to get that turned back. You know, it's like everything is like, there's a lot of stuff here that I think is very user facing. I mean, I know I make a living talking about this stuff, but I run into pain points with this stuff. And it's like, then I think about someone like my sister who is not into this stuff at all. What does she do when she hits that? She just turns it off and walks away. She doesn't even try to fix it. Right. And, um, that kind of stuff, I think there should be zero tolerance for it. I mean, when you have issues like that, which are in the operating system now on both platforms, it it needs to be kind of a boil the ocean, fix this now thing. And I just don't feel like it gets that degree of priority. And I think that frankly is what gets us to the show topic. I think it's those types of problems, which makes everybody say Apple's terrible at software now. I think you're right. I mean, if you listen to this show, we talk about scope more than we talk about bugs. I mean, I think you know we're trying to figure out what they want to make versus what we want them to make. But but these kind of like just broken and crusty corners, that's the kind of thing that they should be focusing on. That should just be gone. And as Apple gets bigger and their and their products get more complex and more integrated, these like problematic areas or things that aren't updated only become more complex to fix when they get to them. Right. Like if Apple had solved the you have multiple Apple IDs, how do you merge them problem, which they still haven't. But if they had done that before iCloud family rolled out several years ago, you wouldn't be in the situation you're in now. Or I wouldn't be in the situation I'm in where I can't upgrade my iCloud storage because I am unwilling to rearrange my iCloud family after the problems that you've had with yours. And these things build on each other. And that's what makes some of this concerning of like, 
okay, if they don't touch mail in five years and they come back to it, like what's going to happen. And that's, um, and I know there are people thinking about that. I know there are people working on all these applications, but we need to see more of it from the outside. It's so easy to say not being inside and having any conception of what technically is involved. But if, you know, I always tell people, if you were Tim Cook, what would you do? I'll tell you, if I was Tim Cook, I would put together like an A team of fixers, you know, people that have UI and programming experience, some of the best people in the company. And I would just like, I would point the A team at problems like that, that problem of it prompting you to re-put your iCloud password. And I'd be like, okay, A team. I want you to spend the next two weeks figuring out why that's happening and make sure it never happens again. Go to whatever team, you know, access whatever you need in the company that needs to end. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like that needs, there needs, it needs to get that level of priority and just start like nailing down these things that users are seeing every day. And, um, and I feel like that could go a long way towards this. Yeah. It's so easy to say that Steven. I, I don't, I open up Xcode. I don't even know what the menus mean. So who am I to tell you? What to do? But, <laughs> but the, uh, but I do understand the idea of like attacking critical problems. And I think that some of them are just not getting the focus. And, um, and I know if you look at spreadsheets, the amount of money they make off, you know, the iPhone compared to the Mac or whatever, it, you start to justify letting these things linger. Yeah. But, you know, the Apple's going to lose its polish if you don't fix these problems. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so we've been talking about uh, what's wrong. I want to end it on a positive note <laughs> because uh, software is getting a lot right at Apple, too. So let's just go through some of the stuff that we, we're happy with that they're doing. Yeah, you put the uh, the iWork suite up here first. Uh, we did uh, uh, an episode on the iWork suite a while back, but it gets continual updates and a lot of good features being added all the time. They work well together. I think it's sort of the crown jewel, especially on the Mac of what Apple can do. Yeah. And I feel like there's a team on this that is passionate about making their software better. It feels like a traditional like software team. And I'm not sure some of these other apps we've talked about get that. But I mean, when you put a team on, it says, you know, you own pages, make it great. And you get continual updates and they're out and they are adding features that are showing up in the outside world. Um, I was able to do a lot of legal work in pages, you know, and it was not a problem. I mean, I could still use word when I needed, uh, but you know, as a word processor pages, very good keynote, I think is best in breed. Um, so, I mean, they, they're getting that right. And, uh, that's a good one. Yeah, I think over overall the interoperability uh, between platforms. So whether that's the iWork consolidation of file format, so I can have a, a number spreadsheet open on any platform, to ha- things like handoff and continuity, I feel like a lot of that is going well. I'd still like some more control over some of it, but I feel like if you're that sort of person Apple has in their mind, where like you work on your Mac and then you pick up your iPad and go work and go work somewhere else, and then take a phone call on your phone, but then you hand it off to your home pod, like moving fluidly between these devices and platforms is getting better and better every year. Yeah. Agreed. And that could, that could be go so wrong. You know, uh, if, if you got that wrong, it is like so much pain for everyone. Maybe my A team exists, but they're spending all their time on that problem. I don't know. But the, um, 
but they do largely work. You know, everything works between platforms, which is uh, not easy. Uh, messages on the Mac. I mean, look at how much that has evolved in the last couple of years. Yeah. I mean, they, they ditched the old iChat shell that messages lived in. Uh, they brought the iPad version over with Catalyst and it's way better than it was. Um, and they did it preserving some of the Mac stuff like the screen sharing. And, yeah. and I think it's fantastic. You know, I use iMessage all day, every day. It's like everybody else. And it's miles better than it used to be. Um, Still some some rough edges here and there, especially with syncing on like a computer that's offline for a long time. Like yeah. my laptop just freaks out still trying to sync messages in the background. But for something that you can use every day and again, fluidly between all your devices, messages is, is super useful. And I've really found that I... I want to use it more on the Mac now that they've they've brought these these modern features over from iOS and iPad OS that the Mac didn't have before because it literally was they shoehorned the iMessage service into iChat AV and then all the iChat stuff went away. It's like it moved into iChat's house and then kicked yeah. iChat out. And now they've sort of <laughs> rebuilt it with messages in mind as this is what this app is for, not something that it just happens to do. So it's like a hermit crab is what you're saying. Yes, exactly. The hermit crab of Apple services. <laughs> what, one that, uh, if someone had come to me a couple of years ago and said, Dave, you need to bet a thousand dollars. Okay. You have to bet a thousand dollars of your money. And the bet is Apple is going to fix the UI in disk utility, or it's going to fix the UI in any of its other apps, <laughs> any of them. Right. Yeah. So you got to bet. I would have absolutely bet that disk utility was not going to get fixed and they fixed it. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. They rewrote disk utility several years ago. I had an open radar for a long time about a typo in disk utility. I even wrote a blog post about it for like maximum public shaming. Yeah. Uh, they eventually did fix that. Um, but they, there were some some issues in disk utility in like the sort of Catalina Big Sur days. And with Monterey, a lot of those got resolved. Disk utility also would hang and freeze. It was kind of non-responsive at times. They seem to have fixed that too. Uh, and that's good. You know, that's utility that 95% of Mac users will never see. But when you need it, you need it to do its job. And they finally got it, I think, mostly put back together in Monterey. What about screenshots? See, this is the thing for me. If someone had said, Stephen, <laughs> you need to bet $1,000 that Apple's going to overhaul screenshotting on the Mac, I wouldn't have believed you because it's been the same since yeah. the beginning of time, almost, or at least the beginning of uh, the Mac OS X era with the grab utility. And they added features here and there. At one point, they changed the format from TIFF to ping. But the screenshot app now does all these sort of modern things where you can manage it all from this nice UI and you're always running system-wide shortcuts still work. You know, so you, you may never even know they replaced screenshot or replace the grab app with screenshot, but you can now have it just save to your clipboard or hover in the corner like it does on iOS or iPadOS. All these nice features, it's really come a long way, and uh, I never would have, I never would have guessed, I never would have guessed they would have redone it. But here we are. You know, we've been talking about limited scope for a lot of these Apple apps, but I feel like one that does not have a limited scope is Preview. I mean, <laughs> preview does so much. In fact, we were talking, we're going to do a whole show on preview. So if you've got questions about it or doing something really cool with it, let us know. But 
Preview is an amazing application that's made by the soft, the platform developer. It's, you know, it started life as a PDF viewer. And remember before this, you'd have to have like Adobe software to do this. And yeah, yeah. And they've added all these things to it. Yes, we're definitely doing an episode on, on it, but Preview is just, it's an amazing example of a first party application and one that's been good for a long time. If everything Apple made had the like the scope and and stability of preview, man, that would be that would be great. It would be. The camera app is another one I want to call out. I know that Apple puts a ton of effort into the whole camera system. I mean, I think that's what sells a lot of iPhones. I know uh, per, with personal experience, the people I know that wouldn't listen to Mac Power users but have iPhones, ultimately the reason they buy new iPhones is because they want a better camera. And that involves the lens system and all that, but also just making a solid, fast capture mechanism. And that camera app is good. I mean, I know there are third-party apps that give you more features and things, but, you know, the way you can get into the camera app, uh, cinematic mode, Daisy and I are shooting like all of those Disneyland videos anymore with a lot of them with cinematic mode just in the camera. Mm -hmm. and. They, uh, you know, this is an example that if you throw money at a problem, if you bring in a lot of developers and smart people, you're going to get good software. And I feel like camera is the, the, um, poster child for that. So, yeah, those are all, I think, good examples of, of where Apple is doing a good job. And there are definitely applications that are kind of in between something like shortcuts for the Mac started life pretty half-baked and they've made i think good progress with that so far in this mac os monterey era that that we live in as we're recording this and i expect that we'll continue to get better but there are definitely examples of system apps that need some attention and hopefully we've we've spurred some (laughs) spurred some action i'm going to be hopeful they're going to see these things move forward because you know apple apple knows all this i think there are people who work on mail and calendar and contacts who know that the third-party ecosystem has done a lot of really interesting stuff, and I hope that they are given the resources and the ability to to move their own ball forward because most people just use the built-in stuff, and that means it needs to be really good and really feature-complete, and some of them are further along that road than others. Yeah, honestly, I feel like this is, if it's anything... And I have to just put a huge caveat on this. I'm not on the inside, but if anything, I would suspect the problem is not a lack of skill. It's a lack of direction. Like mm-hmm. if management is saying, no, here's our scope list for Apple Mail. It's these three things. Do those three things. And someone says, well, I want to add auto sorting. Hey, is that on our, our scope? No, it's not. Okay, sorry. You're not doing that. Yeah. You know, And that's what leads to people leaving and making their own mail apps. I think that you know management needs to look at this stuff. And I do feel like that um, they need to raise the bar. I understand they're they're like aiming for a basic user, but people are not as basic with the way they use computers anymore. And if you just look at the the number of third party mail apps, you can see that clearly there's a desire for more power features. And I all you got to do is unleash those programmers. I believe that people in Apple can do all these things if you give them the budget and the time to do it. Totally agree. Let's let's hope you know. I know Tim Cook listens because every like Tuesday he sends me an email with a detailed thoughts on the show. Yeah, yeah. We should get him. To, we should get him to become a member. 
Yeah. Well, it's Tim Cook at earthlink.net. I'm pretty sure it's not the mm. Tim Cook, but I like to think it is. Does he spell it with an E on the end like he's British? That could be another. Two E's. Two E's. Okay. Tim Cookie. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. There we go. Um, so uh, I, did you think, just getting back to the original precept, though, do you think Apple's bad at software? I think it is a way more complicated question than it seems. I think that a lot of their software is really good, but I think a lot of their software is also really old and there's not much in between for whatever reason. You know, we didn't even touch the pro apps like Logic and Final Cut. I use both. They get updates all the time. They get new features all the time. They're really well supported. But then you look at something like iMovie, it's like, it's been the same for a long time. And so they're definitely different different levels of of what that means with an apple i think yeah i i feel like the the revelation that came to me as we kind of worked up this show is i feel like they're not bad at software they're bad at scope yeah i feel like they've lost the thread of what makes good software in a lot of these categories and they're still thinking about what made good software a long time ago and the world has moved forward and they need to change the scope and then they need to give the teams the resources they need to meet that new scope and uh, I don't know if they will or not. I mean, they're making a lot of money as things are, as things are. But it sure would be nice to see them put the the pedal down on some of these these apps. I mean, you see signs of hope, you know, notes and reminders. Yeah, that proves that it can be done. I mean, yeah, notes in particular, where it was before, I guess iOS yeah. nine or ten. It was when such it, a joke. Yeah, yeah, it it was literally a joke. And it is awesome now. And okay, apply that to mail and these other things. Yeah. All right. Well, it's a bigger discussion. We'd love to hear what you think about it in the forums, which are now uh, have more storage and faster, as we talked about earlier. So, so sound off. Go over to talk.macpowerusers.com. Let us know what you think. How do you answer the question about Apple software? Where do you think they could get better? Do you agree with me on this whole scope thing or am I just like barking up a tree here? I don't know, but the, uh, I think there's something to it. Uh, we are the Mac power users. You can find us over at relay.fm slash MPU. We want to thank our, our sponsors today. That's one password electric and memberful on more power users today. Steven and I are going down the rabbit hole of cars. We both have thoughts on cars. We've been trying to figure it out. We want to talk about it. So, you're going to hear about today, electric cars and thoughts on cars. So uh, vroom, vroom. We'll see you there. And uh, <laughs> if not, we'll see you next week on the Mac Power Users. Thanks for listening. <laughs>